what happened to this game? It launched with like a tournament series um, and a bunch of games that came out in that era kind of had that marketing strategy. Um, it's just a flawed strategy. Oh, interesting. Uh, games are need a casual player base to succeed and then the tournament system has to like organically grow out of that. And when you start with, by like just appealing to spikes um, and those are the first people who play your game, it gets really hard for casual players to like get involved. The following conversations with Sam Black, magic player, brewer, limited genius, and just all around creative personality. It's easy to stereotype Sam when you think about his accomplishments, such as having three Pro Tour top eights. But in this conversation, I'm hoping to reveal a bit more of Sam, who he is, and just get right into the various sides of his magic plane personality. The fact that Sam really is manifesting how he problem solves and how he thinks about life, how he conducts life in terms of optionality through a vessel called Magic the Gathering. It's a really fun conversation. I really credit Sam for willing to go into all kinds of unexpected, wonderful places in terms of topics. And I think this will give you a new outlook on who Sam Black is as a person, magic player, and yeah, just a lot of fun, a fun conversation. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to the Humans of Magic Patreon, or should I say plug? The Humans of Magic Patreon is one of the best ways to support the show. You can find it at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. There are a couple of different tiers, but regardless of which tier you pick, it is going to be the best way to financially support this show, a show that I do part-time, a show that's a labor of love, and a show that could really use your support to get to the next level. And I want to put out more episodes. I want to try different things. I want to update the production values. I want to get more great content out there into the world that you can enjoy listening to in terms of having the best one-on-one -on -one personal conversations about mindset and creativity with folks in the Magic the Gathering community. That's my absolute mission since day one, and I think I'm getting better at it, but I definitely need your help to get it to the next level in terms of making it more feasible to put out more higher quality productions at a higher frequency. So please, please consider joining the Humans of Magic Patreon. It is going to be something that will help fuel exactly what I'm trying to do to get to the next stage. Thank you for listening, and let's get to the episode. Hey, Sam, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. I'm uh, recovering from uh, Vegas. I got back in Madison uh, less than 24 hours ago, and... Um, wasn't able to sleep much at any point while I was there, and my return plans weren't quite what I'd expected. Uh, I missed a flight, and then I like thought that there would be a bus that there wasn't, and it it it, it was some some travel you know woes I suppose, but nothing serious. Um, bit of a sore throat, which you know will happen after not sleeping for five days or whatever. <laughs> but I, I, I assume I'll be all right. Yeah. What's the thing that kept you excited? Because I think you tweeted about that, you know, the littlest thing 
it's not even a word. The smallest thing could make you excited or excitable, right? What, yeah, what was it's, it? I mean, it's almost like it's it's really just like I don't know anything. I, like I'll just um, I don't know. I mean, I guess my first distinct memory of having this experience was I before I would guess the second time I went to Gen Con. Um, the first time I went to Gen Con was '94. Uh, and I didn't have I, I had, you know, learned to play magic a few months earlier and had never heard of anything like it, didn't know what to expect. Um, and then I went and it was a giant convention full of gamers and I didn't know that that was a thing. And, you know, that that was like everything I could want in life at that age. Um, and so uh, then, like, knowing what to expect uh, the next time I was going to go, I was just like so excited to, like, go back to this like thing. Um, you know, as a kid, I didn't have the ability to like travel far for conventions, but Gen Con was like under two hours away. So um, I was able to go to that. And, um, you know, so the night before it's like, OK, I know I'm going to have like a super full day, so I should be sure to like get a good night's sleep. But I'm so excited about this full day I'm going to have. And um, I don't know. Ever since then, like it just comes up a lot. Like sometimes I'm lucky and I can sleep before a pro tour or something. but. I wouldn't say I have a good track record overall. Um, and so, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it could be like, it was a mix at different times. Uh, so like interesting conversations I had looking forward to things that were happening the next day. Um, but, you know, historically it could be anything or nothing. Like sometimes I don't know. It's, you know, it's just like general, like, I mean, you know, sometimes it's really just like it matters to me that I sleep now and then that's like enough that I can't. So you give yourself an ultimatum or decree and uh, it just works? No, nothing works. <laughs> well, you also mentioned Gen Con. I mean, going the second time as a as a kid, I presume still. Yeah, I, I went it... like every year throughout. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the first time you didn't have any expectations. So when you right. go subsequent times, did you build up some sort of expectation? Were they were they met? Did you think that way or like? How, yeah, no, how was I it? mean, uh, I, I would say that, um, you know, like it's easy to like really hype something up that you haven't done and like get unrealistic expectations. But like Gen Con is a pretty consistent thing that it is. Um, so it, it was pretty easy for it to like meet my expectations. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm easy. Like I expected it to be like a lot of the thing that it is. And it was that, um, so, uh, you know, like events in general, like I, I, at this point I've been to like so many, um, so, so yeah. many, um, that like, I don't know the, the, I'm never going to be like particularly disappointed or anything. It's, it's just it, they go the way they go and it's pretty, pretty understood. Sure. Although having said all that, it feels like you have a little bit of an edge just having done those sorts of conventions or travel to conventions in the past. Like, is that something that you went on your own? I presume your parents took you or um, I mean, what was um, that? I think I think the early Gen Cons that I went to was actually um like I grew up playing magic with uh, like my best friend who lived down the street, like his older brother taught us how to play. Um, and I think like their parents took us because um, uh, 
they had group more thing. kids who were into gaming. Okay, okay. And was Magic? Uh, so I have to admit, even as of right now, I've never been to a Gen Con. Obviously, it's legendary. Uh, is this still being held in Milwaukee? Is that no? It was held in Milwaukee like until two thousand something. Um, okay. Uh, and then it moved to Indianapolis, and it's still in Indianapolis. Um, Got it. And like, so the first time I went, you know, ninety four. That was one year after Magic had come out at the previous Gen Con. And so it's not like Gen Con is like a magic convention, right? Like it's a gaming convention. Not by any um, means. And uh, so like magic was just like a thing that was there. And like these days, you know, it has like pastimes running events and it ends up going pretty similarly to like side events at a Grand Prix or whatever. And they try to have some like more like some kind of like marquee events, I guess. Um, in 94, actually the world championships was held there um like the first magic worlds um which i actually saw but had no idea at the time that that's what i was looking at um it was like in an area that was kind of like roped off and i just like passed it in a hallway and um i didn't even know they were playing magic like i could see cards on a table but the cards didn't look like the magic cards that i was used to because there were like all these like weird big jewels that i'd never seen before um and then once I learned about Moxes and learned that the World Championships was there, I put two and two together and figured out that's what I'd walked past. Um, sure. But uh, you know, my fir- like I, I my first Gen Con, I remember more like someone had uh, like this mega chess game that they were like demoing, where they just like put four chess boards together and um, it had like some special rules and. Um, I watched someone who just like was running an event where they just like handed a couple of tubs of Play-Doh to all the people who participated. And they were like, just like make some kind of like monster or like mech or like something, some kind of fighter. And then they had like a sheet of like, okay, if it has this characteristic, it has like these abilities. Um, And then they played like a, you know, just like a minis battle game with like the clay mechs or the clay like monsters they made or the Play-Doh monsters they made. Um, And like, so the the early Gen Cons that I went to just based on like where I was in terms of like life and the stuff I was interested in and the novelty of it all, like the early Gen Cons for me were a lot more like demoing different games and kind of like watching the different stuff people were doing in the gaming space. Whereas like when I've gone uh, in like the late nineties and into adulthood, mostly like uh, I would say mostly after it moved to Indianapolis, it was a lot more like, okay, now there are some tournaments that have like real prizes and um, Gen Con's like a pretty casual space or like casual, like, it it doesn't it there's not like a grand prix or something there's not like a huge event that like brings out the pros um and so like uh the tournaments at gen con are really just like some of the like softest big tournaments that exist and right. so there were like many years where like i would go to gen con and like throughout various like weird events that were there one way or another i'd end up winning you know a thousand dollars or more somehow um, right. And right. there were just like a lot of years in a row that like went that way. 
Yeah. So kind of the the wandering gamer and were they all what thousand dollars here and there? Were they all magic related or did you play other things? No, too? I mean like uh it's a mix. Um so honestly, like the way that I I think kind of like the most important thing that happened for me outside of magic to like becoming a consistent magic pro um was uh Gen Con two thousand six. Um, Wizards released a miniatures game called Dreamblade um, that I found out about because um, I uh, owned like an LGS at the time and someone who was like a Wizards delegate came by to be like, hey, there's this game that's launching. We want to I want to like show it to you and maybe your store can promote it. And there's going to be like this tournament. And so like I demoed it early and then um, my roommate and I just like practiced it like a lot and like figured it out and it's like a really like complex counterintuitive game um and so like having that like extra like really serious testing work into it before it released gave us like a huge edge and so um i ended up winning the like launch tournament at gen con and then like wizards launched it with like a like a Grand Prix network and PTQ system, basically. Um, there, it's just like there were like five hundred dollar tournaments uh, at like local stores all over, and then uh, ten thousand dollar tournaments like at varying locations around the U.S. So I, um, since I won the first one, it was like okay, I seem pretty good at this. I went to the first like ten k, and my roommate and I uh, played in the finals. Um, and, <laughs> the two of you. Uh, um and then uh like i won that match so then i'd won the first two tournaments that happened um Mm -hmm. and so then i started like writing for wizards about the game and kind of became like the most established like dream blade pro um and so then like anyone who was like studying the game and like going to like i went to all the tournaments after that and um you know uh, I was like the Finkel of Dreamblade or whatever, where you know, <laughs> like the people there knew who I was and expected that I would win. Um, mm-hmm. And so like a year of doing that, the game stopped existing after a year, but like a year of just like being the guy in tournaments um, and playing a lot of like high stakes matches uh, l- led to just like, okay, now like my like expectations and mental game are just at a professional level. Like I've had, this experience and like now i just like don't feel pressure in matches anymore um and (laughs) um so i i kind of got to like punch above my weight class in a different arena and then like carry those skills back into magic and so like basically right after that so like that was 2006 to 2007 and then like my first pro tour had been in 2005 and the last pro tour that i didn't play was in 2008 Mm, okay uh, before going back to magic topics, like what happened to this game? Why did it die after a year? Is it because Sam Black and his friend broke it and it was just unbalanced? It was an unbalanced mess? Or it's was not it that it was else? unbalanced. It's that it was too skill testing and counterintuitive. Oh, um, okay. So it's just not friendly to any like friendly or ca- casual. Right. It was too, it was like, so at magic tournaments, after the tournament, people just want to draft, right? Like, I mean, sometimes people will do other stuff, go to karaoke or whatever, but like a lot of people are like, okay, we finished it playing magic. Let's draft or let's, let's play more magic in some capacity. Let's play commander or whatever. 
Dreamblade, I don't I I don't know that I saw more than one casual game of Dreamblade happen at a Dreamblade tournament ever. And the people who played it loved the game. But it right. was just so mentally taxing to play that everyone was just like, I want to relax now. Um <laughs> and so it, the the game was just like too intense and the like the flavor and theme were kind of like weird and not based on any like known IP and kind of scattered and all over the place. And so it struggled to find a casual market like at all. Um, and you, you like the other thing is like it launched with like a tournament series um, and a bunch of games that came out in that era kind of had that marketing strategy. Um, the versus game, uh, the, the versus system, I should say, um, and the spoils and um, a few others. And it's just a flawed strategy um like oh, interesting. Uh, games are need a casual player base to succeed and then the tournament system has to like organically grow out of that um and when you start by like just appealing to spikes um and those are the first people who play your game it gets really hard for casual players to like get involved because like there are people ready to take their lunch money whenever they like try to play in public um mm -hmm. and uh you know, all of the games that came out were all like, oh, let's try to make a better tournament game than Magic. Let's make something like more like difficult, more skill testing. Let's like remove like lands because they create too much variance. And it's just like, how many people are like, you just don't understand your target audience. Like, you're not going to like sell to enough different people if this is your focus. And like, so kind of drawing the wrong conclusions in a way from Magic. Yeah. Because all these, all these things, all these designs came were very much inspired by Magic, right? Because Magic was the first. Tournament-wise, too. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, all these cards are worth a lot because, like, people need them for tournaments. So, like, let's have a tournament and then our cards will be worth a lot. But it's right. like, yeah, but... Let's if have a lot of money in the game because for tournaments because that brings legitimacy, right? That brings... Right. Cool, but, like, yeah. if your cards are worth a lot because people need them for tournaments but you don't have a casual scene, it just makes it so, like, the barrier to entry in competition is hard because you've like attracted all these pros the buried entry and collecting is hard because you've made your cards expensive and so you just never get like the grassroots thing that is like necessary like that that's what you're that's what matters um so it's it's i don't know like cart before the horse basically um yeah and like several different companies needed to like spectacularly fail before people kind of like change their approach and then i kind of feel like you know 10 15 years later everyone just like forgot that lesson and tried doing it again. Um, like, uh, sure. Artifact. Human nature, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know. Every time I like see some game where it's like, we have this new game, here's this like big tournament. No lands, put your cards, play your cards face down. You know, it's, there's, there's <laughs> yeah. no, there's no variance. Yes. Let's make it yeah. more like chess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are, there are a lot of very well explored traps that like, not everyone's been around long enough to know that we, we've people have gone down that road and it doesn't work for a reason. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, um, yes, yeah, so that, that was what happened with that game. It, it was just the wrong, the wrong marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, now going back to magic, you started in 94 when you were 12 years old, you said a 11, few months yeah. before your first uh, Gen Con and then you didn't, hit your first pro tour until 2005. So were you just playing nonstop during that 
like what maybe maybe this is more a question like describe young sam black how did it like, take you so you're so good at magic yeah, 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 yeah i know like you weren't you just born with uh pt top eight in your uh in your mouth or something i don't i don't know what's the analogy but yeah, like, yeah. So, what, what happened in those 10 years well so i mean um my uh the first time i played a tournament was like about a year after i started playing when i found out the tournaments existed um like i uh so i started like just playing with my group of friends who learned to play together and i didn't know anyone else who played um and then uh so i think i think i learned to play in may it might have been like late april or something and um that summer uh some of my friends and i were doing this like summer school thing that was like uh like not like it was just a yeah it was at a school a summer program where you could like sign up for special classes like for fun basically and so one of the classes that i was taking was a class about games um and i was like oh cool a thing where they'll teach me about games i love games um and uh so a bunch of us had just started playing magic when we were in this class and we were like you know ask the teacher like hey there's this cool game that we learned recently can we like you know teach the class about it and so that class ended up playing a lot of magic and so i like met some other people or i you know started to know some more people who played played magic from that and then um uh there was like this youth center in my town um where like kids in junior high and high school could go and they had like uh ping pong tables and some arcades and pool tables and like these like TVs that had like consoles games that uh were hooked up to them that you could like check out and play for like a while um and then they just had like some tables and like that became uh like a place that like kids went to play magic and so I met someone there who told me about tournaments and I was like oh there are tournaments well I should I should go to one of those cuz you know I I play more than like my other friends like the reason i started playing like at like the youth center rather than just like at my friend's house was my friends only wanted to play sometimes and i wanted to play all the time um and uh so you know then i went to a tournament and i discovered that like tournaments were a way to find more people who played and um you know i i i've kind of like half joke mostly serious that like every decision i've made in my life has been primarily motivated by like how can i play more paper magic um and so like the reason that i got into playing tournaments in the first place was like i wanted to play more than my friends did so i needed to find more people to play with and like the way to find strangers was to play tournaments um because mm -hmm. you know there weren't like there weren't there wasn't the infrastructure where like an lgs could like have magic be its main thing and they would just like have a bunch of tables and people could like go there whenever and find other people who were playing magic maybe like at neutral ground in New York, but like nowhere near where I was. Right. Um, and so the only time I could like go to a store and there would be like new people there who were playing was if they organized an event. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then, um, yeah, so for, for a very, very long time, uh, tournaments were the way to play more paper magic. Um, so jumping ahead, you know, 30 years or whatever to now, um, I haven't been focusing on the competitive side as much 
because I've like found a group of players locally who want to play competitive commander like every day. And if I were to like try to focus on like tournaments, uh, the tournaments that would involve like preparing for say like modern and then like going to RCQs and playing modern. But like, I don't know people who want to just like casually play modern on the weekdays to prepare for these events. <laughs> so I would only be able to play, uh, you know, if, I, if my thing was like playing modern, I would only be able to do that on like when there were modern tournaments. And uh, that's less often than I can play commander. Um, yeah. And uh, so like now tournaments aren't like it, it would it would cost me opportunity to play paper magic to like take modern seriously because to do that i'd have to play online because i wouldn't be able to find enough live games um and i i just like live games so much more than i like online games that like i'm just like well the way to play the most magic now is just play commander and then like go to like other tournaments sometimes and don't really try very hard um and uh so that's what i do now because i it's all it's all just yeah but how many hours of paper magic that's the bottom line yeah. Yeah, optimize for that. Sure. Yeah. There's there's um, two points about what you said that I I just want to quickly call out. Like one, we talked about before this recording about how we're around the same age and growing up in the '90s and learning Magic and also other card games at that time, it is very relatable what you're saying. The fact that there was no infrastructure other than tournaments. So I was really into the Star Wars CCG in the '90s, and I played regionals. I played all the qualifiers. I played tournaments every week because that was the only way that you could play the game. Like yeah. other than reading about it in a magazine, uh, by the way, shout out to the duelist. I think that was the first time I, I actually heard about Star Wars was like there was an article that they wrote about the Star Wars CCG by the designers. Uh, anyways, like that's the only way that you could play. So like my mom, I would get my mom to take me every weekend. That's like the thing I would look forward to the most was playing that tournament and preparing for it uh, during the school days and on the week on the weekdays. And like that was that was like. The main attraction, I spent all week thinking about that. And it wasn't yeah. because I wanted to be the best or like compete with the best or level up. It was just wanting to play the game. And it was yeah, not exactly. that easy to like go to the store and just find people sitting there playing like it is now. Um, the second thing I want to say just real quick, sorry, this is like a very abrupt tangent and what you're saying is like there's this false dichotomy between competitive Magic Pro and everybody else where they might feel like people might feel like Sam Black is never going to want to play Commander. Sam Black doesn't know what casual magic is. Sam Black doesn't is this is not this like that's not really true because I think you can actually be in this. Um, is it Venn diagram or concentric circle where like you can enjoy competitive magic and be good at it, but also enjoy other ways to play magic. I just want to call that out real quick. Yeah, no, I mean, and like. You know, when I, when I talk about like playing with my friends and like playing at the youth center, like all the stuff that wasn't actual tournaments when I was a kid, we were just like playing, you know, multiplayer games like free for alls and stuff. And like I grew up playing like really political games of like multiplayer magic. And like so when everyone's just like, eh, how can you play commander? Like doesn't like the politics like kind of ruin the game? I'm like, no, I, I'm about that stuff. Like that's. <laughs> That's what I, I grew, grew up, up on that. And yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I like even like through college, like I was mostly playing like multiplayer, uh, like in the dorms. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I play tournament magic, not because I prefer two player, but just because that's the more magic that I can play. Um, and, 
yeah, like given, you know, that I've been successful in competition, people are surprised when I say that I'm not a competitive person. Um, like I've talked to people who like, you know, they're really into like being the best and like defeating people in a direct competition and like take losses really hard because like the outcome matters so much to them. And I'm just not like that. Like losing doesn't really phase me. It doesn't affect my, like the, the result of a tournament doesn't really affect my like mood or anything. And um, my drive has like in like the pro circuit was always, I just want to be there. And like, I need to do this well to get to keep being here. Um, so like, I care a lot about like earning qualifications to things I'm not already qualified for. And I don't even care what the thing is, but like, if I have to like <laughs> qualify to play in it and it's like another thing, like that's more magic I can play. I, I want to get to be there. But if it, if there's like a tournament, that's like just a cash tournament that doesn't qualify for something else, it's like, eh, whatever, this, is, <laughs> this one doesn't matter so much because like, uh, you know, it, it's still like fun to win anything, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, and so like, yeah, a, a lot of like, you know, like when I was on the Pro Tour, I was going to like every Pro Tour and every Grand Prix because that was a way to play a lot of Magic and because uh, it would ensure that I kept, you know, being able to, you know, uh, being in the room where it happens. <laughs> yeah. But this is something that I'm intensely curious about, Sam, because when I generally, when I speak to uh, folks who are more competitive uh, minded in Magic, they had to very intentionally work at leveling up and it takes a very particular kind of person to basically lose a lot in the beginning stages of their career and lose to a lot of better players. It, it sounds like your path might have been a little different. I mean, is it just that you're such a natural at it that you just leveled up or like what was like, I guess, what's the foundational level of process so for you to, everyone to get said, to that pro tour? Right. So like everyone says the way to get better is to play with people who are better than you. And I always wanted to do that, but I also just didn't have like access um, when I was like a kid. Like you couldn't just go online because that didn't exist until I was in college. Um, like the internet did, but like Magic Online didn't. Um, and I mean, I did actually just like go online. Like I played, you know, Magic, like where I was like literally finding opponents in like AOL chat rooms and like sometimes playing on apprentice um which is like the first like program for playing magic on a computer but it like didn't know the rules or anything um and sometimes literally just like all right well i have a deck that's like on my desk in front of me and i'm gonna shuffle it up and i'm just gonna like tell you what cards i'm playing and you're just gonna trust that this is really happening um and uh so like i i did you know, some of that stuff when like Magic Online wasn't available and like I couldn't play Paper Magic because it was late on a school night or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I like, you know, I started playing with people who just like learned the game when I did. And, you know, they were smart kids who like uh, were, you know, not bad at the game, but they weren't like taking it as seriously as I was. and. Um, then like I went to tournaments and, you know, when I'm going to tournaments as like a 12 or 13 year old, like there were people who were better than I was. Um, I didn't really know if it was that they were playing the game better than me or if they just like owned good cards that I didn't own. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't like 
have a car and I was a kid and I, I couldn't like make connections with them easily to like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like test more seriously. And I like started to hear about like people in my area who like worked together and took it seriously and stuff, but like I didn't have an in. Um, and so to get back a little bit to the question about like the time between when I started and like when I like got on the pro tour and stuff. So like, I started before standard existed. So when there was only one kind of like competitive magic, like vintage or whatever, but it wasn't called that because it was just magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, any any money I could get my hands on, like I I didn't buy food from the time that I learned that magic <laughs> existed to many years later. Like, I, okay. why, why oh, I know magic. I, like if if I had money that I could like you know, buy lunch with, I could also buy an actual dual land for a lunch. And like, I, I, I want the dual land. <laughs> um, and then once I had the dual lands, well, now I need the moxes. And then once I have those, like, so like I ended up like getting, you know, like a full set of power and a full set of duels and stuff. Um, like pretty early, um, I played in a like type two tournament, like literally the weekend that that became a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh as it like became a real thing rather than like this you know weird structure for this one tournament um uh and as like new cards came out like i owned a like a, a vintage deck but i didn't own like you know play sets of rares from new sets and i didn't like have the money to get them and so uh there was a long time where I was basically just like my collection didn't support playing like qualifier formats. Um, and so like, I knew that all that stuff was happening and I would like go to like Gen Con or whatever. And like, there would be people playing other formats, but I'd just like find the guys who were playing vintage and play with them. Um, and it wasn't until like masks block that I like got to a point where I could actually like put a like, deck that was of a qualifier format together and compete um sure. and because so, of your disposable income or because of your network or both right yeah both really um and like you know a lot of people who played around the ages that i did like you know came up in the jss or whatever but like i never heard of a jss event while i was the right age i don't know if like the stores in my area just like happened to not like be into it or what like right. I, I i just i didn't know i i literally have no idea where I could have done that ever. Um, and, uh, yeah. So like I, I was there, but I just wasn't in a position to like get into the tournaments that happened. Um, and then I like, yeah. So like around, like I top aided the second PTQ that I played in, which was mask block constructed. And then I top aided like a few more mask block constructed PTQs. Uh, like, I top aided a lot of PTQs um, from in like mask block invasion block. And then uh, I basically stopped playing uh, during Odyssey block because that was my first year of college. Um, and then uh, I played a lot the next three years in college, but I was like just playing a lot of like casual magic and like drafting online and not really going to events. Um, and then uh, 
after college, I like moved to Madison and opened an LGS mostly so that I could play a ton of magic. And um, oh, hold on, hold on. I have to, I, I have to go into this. Like you're basically saying that you had some sort of mystical, like from not even, even having a play group with better players to, um, uh, top eating PTQs. Like what happened? Like you're you're either the most brilliant magic player in the world or you're just the most naturally intuitive player or or well, just all the things that you did like leading so, up to that helped you. I mean, like I said, at at all points I was like playing as much magic as I could and like, you know, early on like the internet like didn't exist and or like magic strategy on the internet. Like, yeah, it was so primitive. Right. Yeah, sure. And so like early on, it was really just like come up with your own ideas and like test them against people. And like, you know, to the extent that I'm like a, you know, famous deck builder now or whatever, like that's when I grew up, like there wasn't, you were always doing that. That's what you're saying. Building is just required to play magic. Like I couldn't at deck because there, that wasn't a thing. Um, uh, And so, um, you know, like, I guess that's to say, like, I was always, you know, I, I just like was working on my fundamentals the whole time. Um, and uh, so, you know, I might not have had people who were like a lot better than me to play with, but I just played so much with the people who were a little worse than me. And that's like not as good, but it's like good enough to improve as opposed to not improving. Um, and uh so yeah, I mean, like a lot of the success that I had in terms of like PTQ top eights uh, in the '90s was just like with like decks that I just built myself and like put a lot of like testing and tuning into and stuff. Um, and uh, you know that continued with like my early like real competitive success, like the first regionals that I won uh, was with a you know really like wacky deck compared to like what other people were doing where like the conventional wisdom at the time was very much this was also 2006 um was very much like you know you figure out like the nine best cards and you play four of each of them um and uh i built this like abzan court of calling deck that had like a core engine of like four sensei's divining tops four court of calling and then like four sakura tribelders and four wood elves so I had like all these ways to shuffle to like look for the cards that I wanted with Sensei's Divining Top, but then I had like 17 different singletons in my deck. Um and that was just like not how people build decks at that built decks at that time. But like it made sense to me that I have like all this like optionality and like as long as I like build a curve uh of cards that are like about as good as each other then I'm like not giving much up to like gain a lot of like optionality and flexibility in like which cards I'm looking for with cord, which cards I'm like choosing to put on top with uh top and like just make it very hard for my opponent to like know what stuff to like play around. And like, if they start like playing around one thing, I have like this different angle that like wasn't what a deck that was presenting the one threat would like be able to like have as a backup. Um, I'm just having this, sorry, I'm just having this look on my face because I'm still a little befuddled. Like you didn't like when you're doing these, these things and building these decks, like, did you have a sounding board, like someone to tell you that 
this is in the right direction or not, where they're oh, like, I buddies on AIM. Told me it was like really stupid. Okay, yeah. So that makes it even more incredible then. Yeah. Like how I mean how it, it sounds like everything you did was like self-taught and self-done, right? Yeah, so I mean like um so like I have a uh like a Discord right now and the title of the Discord is uh challenging assumptions. Um and that's basically like I'm you know a bit of a contrarian or whatever. Like um you know, I like to me, if something isn't like definitionally true, then it's not necessarily true. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think that there are a lot of like people are just really drawn to heuristics because they make things easier and they're usually right. Um, and if my goal is to like uh, find something exceptional, the easiest way to do that is to like look at all the heuristics and figure out where the exceptions would be and why, because that's how you're going to find something that other people aren't looking at is like, they've like ruled it out before even considering it. Um, and, uh, so, so I guess that's to say like, yeah, like I, I guess it's kind of contrarian to just be like, well, my goal is step one, find conventional wisdom, step two, actively look for exceptions. But like when so many people are working on a project, that's the way to find something that's correct that they missed. Yeah. They're looking everywhere that the heuristics point to. I think what's incredible here, and obviously you, I, I'm going to assume here that you're an experimenter or you're, you experiment, you test, you find things that work. Probably more often than not, there are things that just don't work. They just get discarded. That's the whole point of ideation and I've built so many bad decks. Very few people have built. There's a there's a hall of shame somewhere, but it doesn't need to be revealed because that's just part of the process. There's no shame. Like you, you know, you come up with an idea, you build a deck around it, you figure out which parts of it work and which parts of it don't, and then you take the stuff that works and you try it in a different shell. Um, Like the uh, aristocrats deck that Tom Martell won Perch or Gatecrash with um, was basically like I had a testing team, but. That one was basically just, you know, me in a lab in a house with a bunch of other people. But I was just like, all right, you know, like, okay, I think that like this like sacrifice shell is really good. I think like Falcon Wrath Aristocrat and Cartel Aristocrat with like Blood Artist is pretty good. Now, where am I getting the creatures to sacrifice and which creatures am I sacrificing? And I had like a build that was like, okay, we have some human synergies because like Doom Traveler is a way to like get an extra body. I had another build that was like vampire that was like zombies because like um, grave crawler is like a good creature that you can sacrifice and you can bring it back. And like, to me, these were the same deck, but they had like wildly different like spells and mana bases. They're like 20 cards off from each other. Um, and I was just like, you know, slotting in all these like different clusters and playing a bunch of different stuff in the space. And, you know, like other people would kind of humor me and play games against it. And like, some of the builds were like really bad. Like um, the one with zombies, like wasn't fast enough to make up for the fact that your creatures basically couldn't block. Um, And, uh, but like with each part, it's just like, okay, which cards are working? What isn't, what are the like strengths and weaknesses of all these like different cards that exist that you can play. Um, And uh, just like, you know, given that I've had to like, be a deck builder from the beginning you just get really good at um quickly 
noticing like what's working and what isn't and um being able to like rather than like okay i built this deck it was bad let's discard it and go like all right what worked what didn't what can i salvage here what other ideas do i have that i can like try to see if there's something here um and so like my role on like testing teams for like every pro tour was basically like um i'm just gonna try a bunch of like wild stuff and figure out like what stuff is good and what stuff is bad for as long as I have until it's time to like register a deck. And then like a day before like deck reg, I'm like, okay, these are all the things that I liked. Uh, what can I find that like synthesizes this? Um, and so like, I've played a lot of exit pro tours that were like, well, I put, you know, two or three weeks into like learning everything I can, not just about like the format as it exists, but like the card pool that is in the format. And uh, now it's like pencils down and I will play this deck that I built, you know, 24 to 48 hours before the event. Um, Is it usually an audible, like a last 24 to It's not an audible in that I didn't have a previous plan. It's just like the amount, like I know how much time I have to work and I use that time to learn as much as I can. And then once I have run out of time to learn as much as I can, I like just kind of, you know, synthesize it into a list that's like the best that i have from what i've learned Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and sometimes i'm like not sure about it and sometimes i'm pretty confident about it and then i just like tell other people like i'm playing this but it's uh or like okay i broke it play this (laughs) (laughs) okay uh being contrarian or going against uh conventional magic heuristics that may be comforting right that helps people sleep at night because they feel like they have a grasp on something like is that basically are, is was that born out of necessity or is it just like where does that is it is it like a chip on one's shoulder like where does that come think, from so i mean like you know like i'm someone who like i remember in like first grade having an argument with a classmate about which one of us was weirder like uh it's <laughs> certainly some amount of just like I've very clearly never been similar to other people such that like being a conformist was an option. And so I just like, I guess the way that I could have any self-esteem was by assuming that like not doing things the way that other people did or being similar to other people was virtuous because like, otherwise I'm failing really badly. So uh, let's just assume that like, you know, individuality is actually like really valuable and that like unique ideas are valuable and um let's just like lean into that and um so then from there it's just like okay like i've said before that like the you know key to like being a good deck builder is hubris like you have to believe that you can come up with something better than like what other people have found and then when you come up with something, you have to be willing to like actually register it in an event. Um, and like both sides of that take a lot of hubris. And um, I have that. I, I just like, uh, you know, people are often like, look, all these people are playing this format. They've like come to this conclusion where like this was the best deck that exists. So like this is the deck you should play, or this deck is bad. Other people have probably tried it. No one's playing it. So it's probably bad. Um, I'm just like, yeah. 
I think everyone's just copying off each other and no one really understands anything. And uh, like everyone's bad, a better thing exists somewhere. I just need to put work in and find it. Like when I started playing CDH uh, competitive commander, my, my approach wasn't let me like look up what the good decks are and like learn how to play those. It was, I assume it's more like that, first principles. Let me start from the, yeah, it's just like, I assume no one in this space is like, all that good and they don't like know all the stuff and like you know like uh just like people have to have missed things um like the card pool is so large and um like people are so attached to the first things they learned that it's like okay well mm -hmm. a new card came out i bet no one's really tried to build around this new card so uh let's just like see what it can do um and uh then once i started playing a little it's like okay well now i've like noticed these things about how i play the game that are different from how other people like approach you know actually like using their resources in a game and so now like i definitely don't want to like copy someone else's deck because i want to build a deck that plays the kind of game i want to play um mm -hmm. and uh so that like there are a lot of cards that other people like use commonly that I just know aren't going to work with the way that I use my cards in a game. And like the fact that like most people have to copy existing decks because they don't know how to build a deck means that they're just like playing the cards that aren't suited to their playstyle because they don't even know like what their playstyle is or how to choose cards that work well with it. Um, but like I understand magic enough that I can do all that. So I'm going to do that instead of like copying a deck because you just give up so much. Uh, if you try to copy a deck rather than like building a deck that like uses cards that like I know are good because I read them and other people like, I don't know, dismiss them and mm -hmm. like using cards that like work for exactly the way that I play. Like I know that I use counter spells a little bit less aggressively than other people and I sculpt my hand a little bit more and I try to develop slower rather than faster because I want people to like use their resources answering threats that other people play early and are the most threatening things like i never want to be the most threatening so like i don't want to play any rituals because those just like let me play a kind of game that i don't want to play and uh i don't want to play like wheel of fortune type effects because the fact that i like use my cards really conservatively means that i'm really unlikely to have a small hand stuff like that um yeah so, so just like knowing oh these would be good if i played like the same cards differently <laughs> But like, I'm not aligned to what you want to do, right? Obviously, the cards yeah. need like you to build be a deck to have a plan. You don't like, you know, like to me, the plan comes first, and the cards let you execute that plan. Whereas right, other people are right. just like, oh, this is the deck. How do I play it? Like, I, this I is the deck. This is the cyborg guy. Let me start with this and <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I, I have like a different approach but it's because i have like the luxury of having a different approach because i like have put in the work to like know more things than other people know like know how to identify a play style know what i'm doing differently than other people know the cards that exist in magic like you know yeah. i i got into like pre-modern recently and that's a format where like People don't build decks really. Instead, they just like update like old extended decks. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's like There's a lot of some of that nostalgia factor, sure. Right. Well, some of it's nostalgia factor, but some of it's just like you have to like 
it's really hard to rely on Scryfall to build a deck because you you can do some searches, but you don't know what you're looking for. Whereas if you just like know all of the cards in pre-modern, like they're just there, um, then you can go like, okay, I want to build a deck that uses this card well. Let's just mentally catalog every card that plays well with this kind of thing. Um, and uh, it makes it a lot easier. Yes. Well, well, easier maybe for certain minds such as yourself, maybe harder. I, I feel like you've already answered my next question, which I'm trying to ask is, which is maybe it's, it's even going outside magic. Why do you think people have so much difficulty thinking for themselves? It's safer not to. So honest. Okay. That's it. And it's big and ties back into the hubris thing. Um, I, this is going to be, seem like a weird starting point. Uh, I grew up in a pretty safe environment. Uh, my parents were, um, really supportive. Um, they didn't have like, uh, ideas about like what I should do with my life. And, um, they, they were, you know, they would, you know, like any other kid, they'd like ask what I wanted to do when I grew up. And they would like offer suggestions if I was like, I don't really know. I don't know what the, the options are. There was a while where like my mom was like, I bet you should, you would like being a neuroscientist. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that is, but sure, maybe. Um, but it's not like, you know, then she tried to like make that happen. It was just like, you know, this seems like a job for like smart people who might be interested in how thinking works or whatever. Um, and uh so um anyway like just having like a coming from a pretty stable safe environment um i had just like a very deeply internalized belief that uh you know whatever happened i'd be okay uh, i i was generally like not a very fearful person um and uh so um, having this like security net and whatever, like makes it easy to, uh, experiment with things, uh, in a risk-free way. Um, like I'm a like big believer in like universal basic income because I think that it like lets people like follow their dreams and passions rather than like taking a, like subsistence subsistence level job because like the risk of ruin if they like try to follow like their hobby and their passion um they, they, they can't afford the risk that they won't get there um and you know i like i have made a career and a living off just like playing a game that i like started playing all the time before making a living off of it was like a thing that there was any reason to believe a human could do um and, you know, I, I think that the world is such that, like, if you're good at literally, if you're among the best at literally anything, there's a way to, like, monetize that and, like, for that to be your thing. And I think it's just, like, great to, like, let people, like, invest in themselves and their passions and, like, do a thing, <laughs> whatever that thing is. Um, and so... uh I've lost exactly how I was tying this back. What was the question? The question was, why do you think people are so right, uh, why are incapable people... of critical thinking? Yeah. And so I think a lot of it just comes from 
uh, risk aversion um, and uh, people just like being in a place where taking risks in their life has been like more scary and dangerous and like they've been in a position where they could be literally threatened and risk aversion leads to following heuristics because like for safety um there's uh like it was expressed once and really resonated with me that um the job of a parent isn't um to give their kids like the best life it's to give their kids the safest life um like rule one is like protect them um and uh so kids will often be you know trying to like optimize for a different thing that their parents are optimizing for. Um, you know, they like develop passions and interests and like get excited by things and like want to pursue that excitement. But like excitement sometimes leads to things that are like different or scary or unconventional. And um, getting into that space can come with some risk. And a lot of parents need to try to like, mitigate that risk and like guide them towards something safer and so like as kids people are taught to uh follow heuristics and follow tradition and conventional wisdom and um you know all those conservative values um and uh because like my mom is an artist my dad's a jazz musician um so they were not doing the like traditionally safest things my mom, sure, they were not neuroscientists. Let's right. put it that way. Yeah. And so, like, um, my mom's family had some money. Like, her uh, dad came to America to, like, escape World War II. He's, he's Jewish. She, like, came here uh, and, like, worked super hard and, like, started a factory by his bare hands or something, as far as I can tell from the stories. And, like sure. self-made uh, yeah yeah and like um was like successful and um you know had the mindset that like he didn't necessarily want his kids to have a life that was anything like his especially you know given the history of like fleeing from a you know war-torn country or whatever um he wanted to just like provide for his family and like you know give them a better life like typical american dream immigrant type situation and um he managed to like be successful at that and have uh kids that like you know so he and his wife were just like really supportive about their kids like following their passions and you know he could provide for them and so that's how i ended up having a mom who was like an artist and um so like my whole extended family was really into ah, just do whatever you want um <laughs> mm -hmm. and um so that meant that like my background involved a lot less uh, really instilling like the value of tradition and heuristics and safety. So you think people uh, tend to follow more heuristics due to fear or due to loss aversion, like heuristics, yes, like get a nine to five job, get a stable. I think it's more about like you learn the habits that you're supposed to trust the conventional way of doing things because the convention exists for a reason and it's dangerous not to. And when that's just like how you've grown up approaching life, it can like spill into other areas, regardless of whether it's the optimal strategy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned also something which is just leaning into the fact that you're weirder or you're special or yeah. you're more, you're an individual, you're, 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 you're unique. You're one of one. Um, 
that must have had its challenges when you were younger, right? Because I, I, I'm just thinking even back to my childhood, just, just like, yeah, you know, no other being, kids don't being really bullied, like right? Because, because I was different, or I was like perceived to be a, a smart person, you know. So, what was that like growing up? In, in yeah, that no, way, uh, kids, kids really like to uh, enforce conformity in, uh, in their groups and figure out in groups and out groups and. Um, you know, try to be with people who they like pattern matches similar to them. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I like got along well with uh, kids as a child. Um, like I, I grew up vegetarian um, and like that was, you know, a thing that was different. And so it was like a thing I was picked on a lot for as a kid. Um, and uh, like I grew up with like really strong feelings about like uh the absurdity of like gender roles as a thing and um like i don't know a like pretty big like distaste slash like chip on my shoulder for the way in which people like took for granted the acceptability of enforcing like roles on people as a function of like the like sex that they were born like um the long discussion about you know gender being a social construct and uh like nothing about like that social construct following in a way that's like particularly meaningful or necessary from biology and so anyway like uh basically just you know as a way to be like i don't like this i would like people to like question things more like i you know had like long hair and nails like as a kid just to be like these rules are stupid can we not <laughs> um and uh so um yeah uh I, I would say that there were certainly parts of childhood that were like hard due to like refusal to conform but uh you know that also you know plays back into how i got here where it's like well you know magic is a place where like i can find some common ground with people and um you know have like a way to like interact with people in a friendly way over like a shared interest um that like uh was hard to like get without that right like i, I wanted to like go to magic tournaments to like meet people to play in person possibly because like I didn't have another way to meet people who would be friendly to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think there's something very pure in your life and magic arc, because I feel like to a lot of people, maybe even including myself, magic is a, is an activity where it's a hobby and it is for everybody. I think it is for you as well to, to, a, to, to some extent, but the way you described your relationship to the game, it's almost like, Magic is just a manifestation of extension of who you are. Like, I feel like when people ask you questions like, you know, why do you choose to brew or why do you choose to be unorthodox? It's almost a flawed question because that's just how you were from the beginning. There's no other there's no other way. Whereas I feel like for a lot of magic players, they there's less of that self-expression or manifestation. So if they're going to play in a pro tour, they will just pick what they think is the best deck or the highest probability deck. Um, due to various reasons, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, 
I would call ego sometimes too. Just sure. the the fear of being yeah, just looking like, stupid. You know, is also like you know, like yeah, like people. I mean, the a competition has very clear objectives and a very clear framework. Like uh, it it tells you you're you're supposed to try to win, and then like it's you know very easy to conclude that the way that it's most likely like, the thing that you can do that makes it most likely to win is play the best deck. What's the best deck? Right. Well, everyone agrees it's this. Okay, this is pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it's like a, it's like I need a, I need a Lamborghini. Why do I need a Lamborghini? I, I don't know. Somebody told me I need one. Okay, how do I get a Lamborghini? Make a lot of money. How do I make a lot of money? Uh, become a banker. Okay, how do I become a banker? Um, uh, you know, go to college and study it or whatever. Right? It, right. It's there's these preset paths almost. Yeah. Right, and um, yeah, that's uh. I'm not really into those. Um, <laughs> I, I'm into like learning about myself and knowing what I like and what I value and figuring out how to uh, get as much of that as possible. Um, yeah. Every, like I, the, the challenging assumptions thing is I'm very serious about it. Um, right. That my, is you. My, my life is very like all of my decision making and like values and everything are very much like built from the ground up like what actually matters to me um and like for example um over well over covid i you know uh diligently quarantined and just like stayed in my house and started like streaming um and then uh as that started ending i like uh, took a like job in game design and moved out to California. And, um, uh, but when I did that, I didn't want to like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't know if I wanted to like actually move into game design or like just try it out. And so I didn't want to give up the foothold that I had in content creation and streaming either. So I was like, okay, I'll go out there and I'll like work during the day and then stream at night and like maintain both of these things. Uh, keep your options open. Sure. Yes. And so um, the result of that was that I didn't have time to like make any connections or like have a life in California. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's and, the downside. Yeah. Uh, then I really hated that. <laughs> and uh, so as it got to the point where I was like, I shouldn't be here. I want to leave. Uh, my main, the main thing that I imagined that I wanted to do when I left was I wanted to, uh, cook dinner for my friends every Friday, um, which is maybe a weird conclusion to come from. Um, but, uh, I mentioned my mom's family is Jewish. Um, and, uh, while I didn't grow up with this later in her life, um, my mom started, uh, like having, Shabbos dinners for her friends where like every week she would uh cook and have like a dozen people over for dinner and um when I was in the area I would like go to those and I was just like oh this is like such a great thing to do like these are so fun and like it makes so many people happy and um this is just like such a like cool thing to build into your life and um then after you know, several years of isolation, I was like, I need to like put effort into like building and fostering a community and like, you know, giving something to like, 
you know, show my friends how important they are to me. And um, so I left California, moved back to Madison, and um, now I am like back in my condo with a giant table and I can uh, devote, you know, all of my, like every Friday to spending the day cooking in the evening, having uh, people over and, you know, thanking them for uh, it, the privilege of their company. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, so I don't remember what exactly led to that. I guess that was about identifying something that was valuable, valuable to me and just like, uh, going, you know, prioritizing that and prioritizing making space for it and, you know, saying like, okay, I'm going to stream, but I'm not going to stream on Fridays and I'm not going to like book like coaching session on Fridays. Cause like I, I have identified this like ritual as a valuable part of my life. Yeah. I think it's a sort of, um, you know, I just said a few minutes ago, you are who you are. I mean, we all are who we are, but I am also wondering, is there, I think regret is too strong a word, but is there, are there any considerations for forks in the road? Like how your life and career might be different had you, focus more on game design, focus more on magic, focus more on streaming. It's easy for me to ask this question, obviously, because hindsight is 2020, but is, are you, are you just designing your life to have a lot of optionality and you work on this thing here and there and this thing here and there you're playing CDH and you're testing competitive formats and you're drafting. Like, is there yeah. any thought as to what my career or my progression would have been like had I just gone all in on one thing? So, I mean, mostly like, uh, there aren't a lot of regrets cause like I'm good. Like I, I'm in a place that I'm happy with. So there's you made it work. Sure. Happy about. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is like, well, you know, it's always just like, well, I've gone as hard as I knew how to on the opportunities that I had. Um, like, uh, when, like I, I've always like when I was you know before I was playing Magic professionally, I was always I, I didn't turn down any opportunities that I was aware of that would have given me a chance to do it more or earlier. I just like made the best that I could with the resources that were available to me, and um, like getting into game design, like. I suppose technically there were some times where I like turned down potential opportunities to like work at wizards, but it was like, while I was like platinum in the pro tour and it just like, didn't make sense to like stop doing the thing that I was doing then to do the other thing. Cause like, you know, they're both dream jobs, but like I had one of them <laughs> and it's like, well, I could switch, which would have the advantage of locking in a situation that's like a little bit more stable, but also the like competitive player dream job gives me like an unbelievable amount of like flexibility in my day-to-day -day life. Um, like I need to be in like these certain places for tournaments a few times a year. I need to put a lot of like total time into pre preparing for tournaments, but any given day, any given week I could take off and be anywhere. Um, and uh, that was like, I grew up as a game player. Every game, uh, the best strategy is to maximize your optionality. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, like, it's really hard for me to 
commit to anything because what am I gaining? Like I'm, I'm losing options for what? Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, I mean, like, uh, my partner and I have been together for 20 years. Um, we're not married, uh, and our relationship has like changed a lot over that time. Um, and I absolutely believe that we will always be in each other's lives, um, in a very serious way. Uh, but, um, also not in a way that like limits either of our options in the rest of our lives in any way. And, um, that's an example of how I do things. Um, right. It's your philosophy, right? How to live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. So that the times when I've had the opportunity to go further into game design, the uh opportunity the opportunity cost in terms of flexibility was just too high um there have been times later where uh like you know i wasn't in the same situation like magic wasn't as profitable right like after the pandemic when like there aren't like pro levels and um like star city used to pay very well for like articles and uh with the way that like the magic infrastructure has changed um, there aren't really buyers for articles at that rate anymore. Um, and so like, while there are different opportunities for monetization in the magic content creator space now, um, I'm certainly like, you know, it, uh, a lot of the skills that, uh, are most relevant for, uh, magic content create for like monetizing magic content creation aren't skills that I have. like. Um, you know, I think if I wanted to make a lot of money on magic content creation, I'd want to be really good at video editing and really good at figuring out how to like go viral on TikTok or whatever. Um, and, uh, I'm not really looking to like learn that stuff because that sounds like it doesn't involve just playing magic. Um, and, <laughs> uh, true. So, um, you know, right now I'm just like, I don't know, making less money than I used to or than I would if I like had a job at Wizards. But I also, you know, get by like I, I can do all the things that I want to. So it doesn't really matter. Um, and. Uh, so, but I mean, there have been times where it was like, you know, working on magic is really fun and would be really satisfying. And, um, you know, there have been times when I've like I've tried to, you know, get hired by wizards on and off at various times and uh it hasn't worked out you contracted for them from time to time as i understand yep um and uh so you know i would say i asked them to work for them more recently than they asked me to work for them or i asked if i could work for them more recently than they you know currently the no is on them (laughs) um Mm -hmm. uh and you know there there are ways in which i've like been sad about that but um, I don't know that things would actually be better. Like the the cost of structure is very high, um, and my satisfaction doing the things that I'm doing now is pretty high. So um, I don't know. It's fine. I think like I've said before that like a lot of the best things that happened to me were uh, failure to do something that I shouldn't have done. 
Um, like, Failure to conform. Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm saying like when I tried to do something and I failed, um, where like I was actually trying to. Oh, like, that's when you learned or you. Well, no, something. it's so like, for example, right before I like. Was able to play magic professionally, I like applied for like a normal like office job and didn't get it. Um, and like if I had gotten the job, then like I wouldn't have been able to like uh pursue the option to play magic like it wouldn't have been an acceptable risk once i had already been established um and uh there's no question in my mind that my life would be way worse if i had like been like working that job instead um and uh like i'm very happy with like where i went to college but it was you know like my sixth choice not my first choice um <laughs> and uh like I don't know. It, it would be easy for a person in my position to, uh, you know, believe in like a higher power that everything happens for a reason. Uh, in practice, I just believe that I'm good at making the best of a situation and um, playing to my outs and working with the resources available to me and, you know, all those good gamer skills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very lucky because you make your own luck. And the way to be lucky is to like actually pursue to notice and pursue opportunities as they present themselves and to like be able to, you know, creatively problem solve and or use the resources that are available. Um, uh, and yeah, just, you know, see things and know what to do with them. Is satisfaction or happiness the the goal yeah ongoing goal i mean i i it's hard to believe that either of those cannot be among the most valuable things for almost anyone um th th there are you know I, as i said earlier if something's not definitionally true it's not true i'm sure that there are people who just like have like deeply held morals that they're they should prioritize other things more than that i've uh had conversations with people who like you know legitimately believe in like the value of hard work and sacrifice and, like i don't understand like what's the virtue of sacrifice like no one cares what you put into something like no one cares about your input only you experience that people care about your output they care about what you produce that can affect someone else so like if you value sacrifice like you're just hurting yourself um because like you know it's the like work smart not work hard or whatever like if you you it's just thinking about everything backwards to think about the thing that's valuable is putting a lot of work in rather than the thing that's valuable being getting a lot of output um and uh but there there are people who do that i guess is what i'm saying um mm -hmm. so people can can value whatever whatever they happen to have learned to value for me happiness and satisfaction seem like pretty good good ones to value uh it, it's hard to go wrong when you're happy and satisfied <laughs> are you cynical in general about humankind or no, where the world is absolutely going? not um i think that um every like major system is flawed to the point of like catastrophically bad um like you know systems are somewhere between amoral and evil depending on how you view things um and like you know, it takes a 
sick kind of person to want to have enough power to like want power enough to like pursue it to like become a world leader or whatever um and so like the the systems really like are built to like optimize for there are a lot of perverse incentives um and uh it would be really easy to be kind of like pessimistic and fatalistic about the prospects of the world when you think that like every system for like governing humans is kind of like necessarily disastrous but that's always been the case and humanity collectively has always improved and so like despite the fact that like everything is necessarily bad it's not necessarily so bad that it's not workable um and uh while you know, systems in a lot of ways exist to erase morality, like, um, you know, diffusion of blame, um, you know, ethical consumption under capitalism, all that. Um, like, people individually are generally pretty, like, well-meaning and altruistic and um you know that there's a tremendous amount of like capacity for and presence of good in the world and um you know uh the evidence that i have is when you factor all that in the outcome is like growth and compassion and happiness exists in the world and continues to like you know move in a good direction uh over the long term and I have every reason to believe that, you know, for the most part, that'll continue. So there might be some individual outliers, like sociopathic people wanting to become world leaders, but that that's the exception. Yeah. And in the aggreg aggregate, there's still optimism. Yeah. Do you think of your magic career or do you, first of all, the first question is, do you think of your magic career? Like, do you think there is such a thing as a magic career? And if so, how do you want other people to think of Sam Black's magic career? If there's not a magic career, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, like uh, my focus and income have been entirely uh, magic for the last, I don't know, I guess there was a year in there that wasn't that, but like two decades. Yeah. Close, close. Um, and uh, so, like, if there's not a magic career, then you're working on a very specific definition of career. And, like, that's cool, I guess. But, like, as far as, you know, colloquially, colloquially using... Well, let's just work. call it a body of work, then. Yeah, sure. there is a body of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, if your question is, does a magic body of work exist? Yes. <laughs> as to, okay. like, how do I want people to think of mine? I don't know. I mean, so like my, so, you know, kind of the like meaningless way to put it is, you know, what do you care about? Oh, happiness and satisfaction. The, because those are just so nebulous, like different people get those in different ways. Um, my actual like goals as I conceptualize them, that is like a little bit more concrete and practical are, um, on an emotional level, um, the like biggest drive that I have is to show off. Um, I want to be uh, admired and um, appreciated for 
the ways in which I'm exceptional. Uh, and that last part is as important as the first part. Like I specifically like, you know, it, it doesn't just matter that like I'm appreciated. It's more satisfying to be appreciated for the specific things that I like and value and are, are value about myself. And those are the things that are most unique and exceptional. Um, and, uh, so a lot of my, like a lot of the reason that like, I am interested in like going out of my way to create content, regardless of like whether I'm particularly being paid for it is just like, Oh, well, this is, I can make something that people will appreciate. And then they'll like, you know, admire that I could do this thing. I made a thing that was valuable to them and they'll like that. And only I would have made that thing. And so that's the thing that's exceptional because other people would have done something a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. Like the reason that I got into my limited podcast was, I was like, I have an idea for how this can be done, dif done differently than other people do it that I think is going to be valuable. And I think people will appreciate it. Um, and uh, then aside from that, I just want to like improve the lives of people close to me in particular. Um, and, uh, like, um, it's not quite the question that you asked, but a question that I thought that you might have been asking was, um, you know, like, what is the value, like the social value of being like a magic player, right? Like, um, a job, like, um, uh, arguably the reason that gambling is outlawed when it is, is, um, that it has negative social outcomes that even if people only do it, uh, in healthy ways, or, you know, it's mostly like advantage gamblers or like the reason that you shouldn't even allow advantage gamblers to do it is that like it's gambling is pretty zero sum. And, mm -hmm. um, arguably the whole thing is like parasitic and specifically like preying on like it's smart people preying on people who have gambling addictions and like problems. And, mm -hmm. um, there are ways to create value, uh, in like the poker world. And I don't mean to imply that like everyone who plays poker is like doing something immoral. Um, but, uh, you know, it's easy for like any gaming position to be seen similarly. Like I enter, tournaments that are zero sum and try to get mine. Um, yeah, somebody's winning, somebody's losing. Right. right. Uh, but like, you know, winning magic tournaments isn't really what my job is. Um, uh, magic tournaments are a vehicle to test my theories and to like get my name out there. But like my job is uh, educating people about magic and in that way, my profession is basically teacher, but I reach a wider audience. And um, then there's like, but the role of a teacher is to like give people like important skills. And you're just like teaching them the how tools. to like do this thing that like is zero sum. So how does it help the world if some people are better at magic? And like, to me, magic skills are, uh, you know, cross applicable to more or less everything. Um, I think that that's true of almost everything. I think that like, if you're great at literally anything, then you like kind of see the world through analogies to the thing that you're an expert in. Um, 
But I also think that you don't need to be an expert to like be able to apply things that you know from one space to another space. And I've kind of always believed that like gaming is kind of the best way to teach people like strategic thinking as a concept, uh, problem solving, like a whole host of like really, really valuable, like how to think type skills are, as far as I know, best taught through gaming. And so um, I view like I, I have a pretty like noble view of like the role of a like magic strategy educator where like I, I think that, you know, uh, learning to like think about the world the way that is useful to think about magic is just a valuable thing for people. And so um, in terms of like how I view my contributions to the world or my audience or whatever, um, I like to think that I'm helping people just become better thinkers, whether that's about, um, you know, uh, strategic thinking or realizing, you know, which heuristics you should be questioning and like generally having like a more um, like taking less for granted. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I guess, you know, that that's what I think is, you know, ultimately like the most valuable work that I do. Right. So really like making a, getting a certain result for you individually in a tournament or writing, I shouldn't say writing, but like competing, it's a means to an end. The end is to educate, is to provide some sort of value to others, to help them think critically, like to give them tools for Certainly magic and otherwise. The end goal of my profession is that. Um, like, I, I think that it is, you know, uh, like, like I said, the end goal in my life is really just to like improve like the people close to me. The end goal in my profession is where like I care is like my profession cares about a wider range of people than I personally care about because a lot of, course, of people yeah. who consume my content, like I don't know them. So it's very hard for me to like see that it's helping them. I can know that it's helping mm -hmm. them more than I can observe it. Um, and I like value that both conceptually and practically in terms of like, oh, well, if people, you know, value the contributions that I'm doing, that's like where my income comes from. Um, so, but there, there to me is a little bit of a d divide between, you know, uh, personal ambitions and priorities and professional and, uh, you know, career ambitions and priorities. And they're largely in line, but like applied slightly differently into slightly different groups. Mm -hmm. Are there any particular teaching moments or magic moments in general that you're particularly proud of or fond of, or you'll look back and be like, that's, that's where I made a mark. Um, the first that I think of as a concrete moment is a little bit outside of magic. And by a little bit, I mean, just outside of magic. Um, there was a while about a decade ago where um, I started uh, writing um, just like some thoughts and stories about like my life and how I experiences I've had and how I do things and stuff like on Facebook that ended up like, uh, you know, I, I like 
announced that I was doing it, but it was like in like a private Facebook group that, that I like let anyone in. Um, and, uh, for a while after, like I wrote that stuff, people would like come up to me at events and like say that it had like a profound impact on them in some way. Like someone told me that like, they like changed majors and like entered like gender studies because of like reading that. Um, and, um, also just like, it was pretty, you know, like a decade ago, the magic, like landscapes and demographics and stuff were like pretty significantly different than they are now. Um, and so, um, it was, uh, I think like giving, awareness to some things that like the community as a whole didn't have a lot of awareness to back then was valuable um uh a lot of that's kind of like um so like my partner um is trans and um so some of that was about like writing about like coming to understand that thing through them um and like this was before there were like any prominent magic players who were trans and so kind of like i ended up effectively like introducing that like whole concept to like a number of magic players who just like hadn't encountered it and these mm -hmm. days i think that like my voice is a lot less relevant in that space because there are people who you know have that experience personally and can speak for themselves um but like there was you know, a time when there just weren't people in the space to do that. And, um, it was, uh, I think meaningful to some people to be able to like scratch the surface there. Um, and, um, uh, as far as like magic, I mean, there are a few like articles that I'm proud of in terms of their ability to like, uh, express like principles that I think should be, you know, it, it's always nice to write like, uh, an evergreen piece, like something that's like, yeah. you know, create like a classic, some, right? Yeah. A classic, yeah. something that creates like some core strategy rather than like, here's how to build, you know, berries this particular week or whatever. Um, and you know, there, there are a few of those, but like, I don't know that they, I don't, I don't think they're life-changing, you know? Mm -hmm. What about just helping folks on their way? Because I mean, I, I can't claim to have followed all of your tournament career but even just breaking archetypes and allowing other folks to become successful due to ideas that you brought into the world i can think of maybe modern horizons draft being right yeah, one yeah, of them no, I mean, maybe I, the aristocrats certainly there are people yeah. who you know come up to me and say like oh you built this deck that i really loved and about half of the time i actually built the deck um, sometimes it's a deck that you know just ended up getting credited to me in their mind for some reason mm -hmm. um but uh yeah. And then, I mean, like, you know, there are, like, I've had a lot of, you know, different, like, roommates or people who were close to me or something throughout the years. And um, uh, weirdly enough, there's, like, a pretty high correlation um, in what I've experienced between, like, people living with me for a while and, like, getting way better at magic for some reason. Um, and mm, uh, Uncanny. <laughs> and so it's, I mean, you know, it's always fun to like see that happen where like i find someone who's like interested in magic but like hasn't had success um and like spend more time around them and like watching them like get a lot better uh is you know fun and rewarding um th and that's more you know the thing that i was saying about 
having like the more personal goal of like improving the lives and situations of the people really close to me. So like being able to kind of like give my skill set to people who like hang out with me uh, and then like watch them use that to like succeed at stuff that they've wanted to succeed at is, you know, definitely fun and satisfying. Okay. So what is it, what is the role ahead look like? Is it going to be the same as it's been for the last couple of years? Like, because I think magic, the game itself is also changing. Um, how tough question to answer, but it, have you given some thought as to what the next few years would be like in terms of you and your relationship to magic in terms of content? Comp- it's been the same for the last 30 years. I don't see it changing. <laughs> okay. I, you know, like as much as I These little, I, little blips that don't. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I see. Where you're as much as I prioritize optionality, looking back on it historically, you'd think that I'm like the worst person to prioritize optionality this much. Cause I changed so much less than other people. Like there's just this one <laughs> thing that I've always done and always wanted to do. Other and people I, all change and I stay the same, right? Kind yeah. of as the joke goes. All, yeah. all of my priorities just feel like they're all the same that they were when I was 11. Um, like, <laughs> you know, I, I've certainly like grown and changed and learned things, but like, so much of like my like you know i'll have friends who like i don't see for six years and it's like what's up and they're like oh i had like all these radical changes what's up with you and it's like yeah same old like you know i like at, at its core like my life now isn't visibly different than it was five years ago 10 years ago 15 years ago it's you know um it, it's weird that for someone who's so stable i refuse to just like lock it in and be like, okay, this is, this is what I do. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I care a lot about like the flexibility to do something else, but that doesn't mean I think I'm going to start taking advantage of it anytime. Like I've only lived in the like tiny box between Chicago and Madison. Like I've spent, you know, weeks or months in other places, but like permanent residence has only been there except for the 11 months that I was in California and I hated it. Um, like, uh, you know, I, I'm just, I, I'm very me. Um, and, and I don't think that's, you know, going to really change. Excellent. Um, yeah. So I think on that note, it's, it's just great for having a chance to talk to you today, Sam. I feel like I've had just, just a very strong sense that you are who you are. I, I think I've said this like three or four times already on the podcast, but just, your individuality and self-expression really shines through. You have a very clear way of how you want to define and live your life. And I think that is very admirable. And although we are all incapable of just packing up our bags one day and becoming somebody else, I feel like hopefully there's some inspiration here for, for others, or maybe just some reminders, right? <laughs> think for yourself, right? Be, be your own individual. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I mean, like, I I would certainly say, I mean, I certainly, like, it's always hard to give advice because everyone's coming from very different situations and I'm very aware of survivor bias. I know that, you know, anytime anyone asks, like, Finkel about, like, what he would recommend for other people, it's like, well, don't expect that you're going to be able to just, like, choose to, like, live the life that he did because he's the guy who got luckiest 
happen to be like the most talented or whatever and other people aren't in the same spot um but uh you know like i said i think if you are really passionate about anything you can probably get exceptional at it and if you're exceptional at anything there's a path to monetization and a way to like live your life around that thing and um you know it would be nice if more people could afford to take the risks necessary to live the lives they want and uh i would say you know you know your own risk tolerance and you know risk factors uh but like if you're not doing the thing that you want to be doing you should know that there's like i hope you know a good reason that you're not Thank you for listening to Humans of Magic. You've made it to the end. Thanks so much. You're awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there are two ways to do so. The first way is the most powerful. Tell a friend. Tell them to check out Humans of Magic. I'd love it if you could spread the word. The second way is to join the Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Patreon is the best way to directly support the show from a financial perspective. For as little as $2 a month, you can support me and join the Discord. It gives me the power to keep cranking out new episodes with your favorite magic people. If you want to go the $5 support route, you'll get a digital copy of the Humans of Magic book. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you as always making it all the way to the end and we'll see you next time.